The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I jump in in my Sparkfile. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my Sparkfile. I jump into my spark fire. Let's open up the spark fire. Welcome to the spark file, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart creative people don't do it alone. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell. If you're joining us for the first time, you are so very welcome. But you may be asking yourself, what exactly is a spark file? Where do I get a spark file? What do I file in my spark file? These are such good questions, and we have got answers. We do. A spark file is the place where you consistently collect all your inspirations and fascinations. And if you're like us and you're making stuff all the time, sometimes the wellspring of inspiration can run a little dry. We're here to refill it. We are, and we are on the lookout for fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark our creativity and pique our curiosity. Things that inspire us to get up off of our asses and make things like this podcast. Or a dynamic resource for understanding the varied roles on stage and off stage that work together to create and maintain a Broadway show. That's a hell of a sentence. Mm -hmm. Or a career in the arts spanning some of the most notable nonprofit and commercial theater organizations, fostering, developing, and championing new work by emerging artists. That's a hell of a sentence, too. On Isn't it? today's Maker Sode, we're going to talk to someone who truly sparks us. And that someone is the new executive director of the Eugene O'Neill <gasps> Theater Center. Tiffany Gavin. Tiffany, Tiffany welcome to the, the Spark, Spark File. Thank you. Yay! <laughs> I'm so glad Insert to sound be effects. here. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. We're, We're so, just thrilled. So thrilled that you're joining us today. Oh, you know what? We're going to start, I think, by asking you, where are you right now and how are you right now for reals? I am at my kitchen table in New York City, in Long Island City, oh, like um, and I'm yeah, and I'm I'm doing well. I mean, it's been really strange to be in my 725 squ square foot apartment pretty much exclusively since March. How's your <laughs> pandemic going? Yeah, are you sequestered? by yourself is there anybody else in the space with yeah. you any pets it's just me and uh my dog passed away a couple years ago and i consider getting a covid pet as mm. many people have done mm -hmm. but yeah. but being a theater person i had to keep in mind that if i was home all day with a new dog yeah. when i finally yes. started going to work like yep. theater people do this poor dog would be so confused yes um, so confused. I read a thing on Twitter where they were saying, if you have been living the COVID life Oof. where you've been at home, maybe you're maybe you're working remotely, maybe you're not working right now, and your pet is really getting into this, you need to start spending like an hour a day away from your oh. pet so that you don't blow their little pet mind yeah. when you return oh. to post COVID life. Just getting get used to not seeing me. Yeah. But you've been keeping super busy in your 725 square foot apartment. <laughs> you've not been <laughs> idle. 
I have. I have. I was reading an article about the fact that um, quarantine was made for Gen Xers, that we are surviving it <laughs> like no one else. <laughs> uh, wait, I think I read this. It's like because we're the latchkey kids. Exactly. We're the, like, like uh, go home, don't answer the phone, don't answer the door. Yeah. Um, if someone calls... <laughs> say she's not available right now like there were some exactly. little jokes exactly. and take the you chicken can make out a of the snack freezer. right exactly yeah. <laughs> that, i need to read this article because it might explain why i'm like there have been challenges during the pandemic but by and large i'm like yeah i've said this before on the podcast but this little introvert is just like hey i'm into this yeah yeah i'm i'm into this like quiet life <laughs> latchkey life. <laughs> latchkey life. La exactly. I should say, fun fact, just up front, Tiffany mm -hmm. and I knew each other like 20 years ago, I think. <laughs> 20 years ago, when we were both little itty-bitty kids yes. working at Blue Man Group at the same time. So young. I actually cannot believe that our paths haven't crossed again in 20 years. Like, given how small circles are, um, it it's kind of strange. amazes me. It yeah. amazes me too. But then New York is the is a strangely big small town. I mean, you yep, think true. you'd run into people all the time and then you get out of a circle and Well, and we like we've been in proximity because I've gone to shows at ART and mm -hmm. knowing like you were probably there and we just, you know, didn't didn't wow. see each other. We just right? we just missed each other. Yeah, ships passing in the night. That's right. <laughs> and Tiffany, I think you and I first met way back when because my first husband—that's right, kids—my first of <laughs> six first was was a blue man. And I think that's how I first met you. I think um, that's it true. was either in New York or in Boston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yep. and look at us now on the spark pile. Here we are, our twenty-year reunion. I love it. I love <laughs> it. That's right. We'll see you again in another twenty. <laughs> so we always begin with the spark file price of admission. So real quick. Tiffany, can you tell, I have such a big, stupid smile on my face right now. <laughs> Tiffany, can you tell us a creative risk that you have recently taken? Well, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think taking a job out of state during a pandemic might qualify. And not just any job, <laughs> not but just like a any really job. big job. Right. Running a, a theater center with a hugely diverse group of things happening. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not just shows being produced. It's not just classes being taught. It's a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, yeah. And not having seen the institution really up and running and functioning the way it normally would mm -hmm. ever makes it really challenging to figure out. So what do we do next? How mm -hmm. does this work? What does the summer look like? How do the conferences roll out? You know, how long is the semester? <laughs> yeah, I bet every question is like, how would you normally do it? Okay, and then exactly. how, would, how are you doing it now? And then- Exactly. Yeah, so for folks who are just tuning in, Tiffany was recently announced as the new executive director of the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center in Waterford, Connecticut, which is, friends, it's a really big deal. It's, it's a really, really big, big job. Like, it's a really big deal. Like, if you don't know, it's totally a um, big deal. It's just like, it's a huge, uh, not to, <laughs> to freak you out, <laughs> Tiffany, can't hear but it's you, a Stephen. huge responsibility. Like, it, you're, and to step into it during this time. But we're going to crack into all of this. 
Tiffany, you are officially admitted into the Spark file. That is a uh, an amazing, mm-hmm. significant creative risk. Thank you. <laughs> um, so for people who don't know you, how do you identify creatively when people ask you, hey, what do you do? How do you answer them? Generally, I, I used to respond as I'm a theater executive or mm. a producer. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Yes, theater executive always seemed to cover everything because I I did so (laughs) many things over the course of my career. Um, So it, I someone said to me once, "You have the strangest resume." Really? (laughs) Tell me why they said that. Well, I started out. I mean, you know, my resume has evolved over the actual physical resume has evolved over time. So what has been on and what's dropped off has mm. changed. But I started out as a casting intern at the New York Shakespeare Festival at the Public Theater. You did? I wow. did. I did. And Can we back up even further? Yeah, sure. uh, where, where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in Narstown, Pennsylvania, which is a little bit outside of Philadelphia. And did you go to school for theater? I didn't. Uh, well, I... I did, you know, theater in high school and my mom put me in an acting class when I was six because I was an only child and Aww. my mother being this, I know, she was this amazing person who um, was an incredible musician. She studied music in college. She became a teacher, an elementary school teacher, and she realized that probably the best way to socialize an only child and to you know, help her come out of her shell and have confidence was to put her in an acting class. Mm. So when I was six, that's, yeah, that's what she did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's, she was amazing. So. Mm. But um, you didn't go to college for theater. I didn't. I had done so much theater that I thought, well, I'll still do a lot of theater when I get Mm -hmm. to college or I'll still, you know, do student theater, but I really want to study something else. Um, And it also made my parents a little bit, happier until they found out what my actual majors were and then they were like what was your, oh, what were your majors <laughs> poetry was it poetry no it was, it was sociology and modern culture and media uh Ooh, which when i wow yeah when i started in the department it was called semiotics and then it got yes. <laughs> it got renamed modern culture and media so how did you end up in that casting office I had a friend who, a friend of mine from college, my roommate actually, um, had family members that were professors at Tisch. And at that time, Rosemary Tischler, who was one of the producers at the public theater, ran the Tisch acting program. And she asked, you know, asked her friends if they would ask if maybe I could interview, (laughs) you know, I mean, just that, you know, that stupid, you fell into it thing. And I uh, managed to get this. You really fell into it. I really fell into it and then fell into it in a way that I didn't really know what to do once I fell into it because I lived in Philadelphia and I could not afford to live in New York. So what did I do? (laughs) I, I commuted on Amtrak every day from <gasps> to New York. You could afford that? No way. At the, time, at the time, it was really cheap. I mean, it, I mean, come on. This was like 25 years ago. It was a oh different What is that, like but two hours? Day, both it was ways? about an hour 45, an hour and 45 minutes. Wow. 
And, you know, I took my little $45 check that you get as an intern. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I have to share a spark with you that we just did on the podcast, which is, have you ever read Underfoot in Show Business by Helene Hampf? No. She grew up in Philadelphia and she couldn't afford, she, all she wanted to do was work in New York theater Mm -hmm. and she had to take that train back and forth too. (laughs) And she ended up, she was working in the press office on a production that became Oklahoma. Oh my gosh. It's the best story. We're going to send you a copy of that book. Oh my gosh. I would love that. That is amazing. That's so crazy. So you were making that trek back and forth. I was making that trek. I was. (laughs) And then when I graduated from college, um, I think, you know, you stick in someone's mind if you're the crazy kid who commuted every day from Philadelphia. So (laughs) (laughs) the general manager was looking for an assistant and I came in to interview and I was really lucky and I got the job. And so, um, wow. That's kind of where it started. I worked right there at the public theater. Exactly. And then I moved across the street Mm -hmm. (laughs) to company company manager Blue Man Group. And it really confused the guy who brought me my morning um, egg and cheese on a roll. (laughs) 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 Because I went. She's across the street. Exactly. Just taking her across the street. street. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those were the days. Those were the days. I recently learned that, and I, I don't know why this was a surprise to me, that bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll is the number one sandwich in New York City, like the really? most ordered sandwich. And I didn't think of it because it's a breakfast sandwich, I right. guess. But I was like, remember in the years that we all lived in New York City between Tiffany, Laura, and I, get take a guess at how many bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll oh. we have ordered and eaten uh, in our lives. Un- it's so many. Uh, countless. 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 It could be the official sandwich of New York. It could be the official sandwich of New York be. City. It could be the official sandwich of this podcast. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But but back to you. Off of sandwiches and back to you. <laughs> so you you st- you start in casting. You move into company management. For people that don't know what that is in the entertainment industry at a theater like the Public Theater or Blue Man, what is company management? So I sometimes I used to refer to company management as all the jobs that nobody else wanted to do thrown into one job. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. Um, Well, yes. But you're sort of responsible for things like payroll and tracking sales and taking care of the care and feeding of the actors. Like all these things make sense together. (laughs) Sales. And care and feeding of actors. Yeah. Care and feeding of actors and, you know, um, contracts. You prepare a lot of contracts. And the one great thing about it is that you get to work in all aspects Mm. of the theatrical process to some extent. You work with the actors, you work with the producer and the director. You're in the theater, so you work with the box office and the front of house. So you really get to see how the sausage gets made Mm -hmm. from being a company manager. So mm-hmm. I do think that that was the best leap that I could have taken. So if someone wanted to management. be like a theater executive, company management <laughs> yes. is like fertile <laughs> training ground, right? It is very good training ground. You get to know what everybody does and 
how it all works and how it mm-hmm. all fits together. And okay, you know. so you sort of it's sort of baked into what you the way you're talking about it. But when you say it's sort of been described as all the jobs that nobody else wants rolled into one great big job. To me, it sounds so hard. It sounds so like the buck always stops with you. Like you are constantly problem solving. Mm. You are, you're the complaint department. Like it's a lot, but, but how, how did you like it? (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, it really, a lot of it has to do with the people that you work with because, Mm. you know, if you enjoy the people that makes all the difference. And yes, the, a lot of the buck stops with you. You report to a general manager. And so that general manager also takes a lot of the heat, but you're usually the conduit of that heat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you're the, you know, you're the on the ground person, the day to day person that people come into contact with, uh, that the cast and crew come into contact with on a daily basis. And because you're doing their payroll, you know, that's the, there's a lot of discussion about that. My payroll's wrong. My check is wrong. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> did I where's tell my you you didn't get my agent? Yeah. Where's my per diem? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> all, all the young people out there are just like, sign me up. I don't want that job. But, but I can truly see how it flows into mm-hmm. the work that you're doing now and how yes. is this, is the job that you're in now, is it kind of a dream job for somebody like you who yeah. can handle the tough stuff and loves being in that leadership position? It is because for somebody like me that really likes the kind of management and, and administrative side of things, but also loves the artistic side, mm-hmm. loves to read scripts, loves yes. to have input in how shows are developed and you know, early development and working with artists, you couldn't find a better model because it's a single leadership model. So you're kind of a part of all of that. Yeah. Um, you're using all the parts of your brain. You're in using job. all the muscles. You're using all the muscles. Yeah. And it didn't quite hit me until, I don't know, maybe my second or third meeting. And we were, you know, discussing some issue and it got really quiet. And nobody said anything. And I realized that everybody was waiting for me. It's my turn. Oh, right. This is where I, this is where I'm supposed to tell you what to do. Oh, oh fuck. got it. <laughs> that would make me, that would keep me up at night and simultaneously make my shit myself. So not only would I be up at night, I would be shitting myself while I was awake, but you seem to bear it well. So in yeah. that moment when they were all, when they all turned, looked at you and you were like, oh, they're waiting for me to <laughs> declare. Like, were you like, yes. Or were yeah. you like, oh no. Did you know the like, answer? It, Did, were you able to say like, here's what we're going to do? I, I was able to, in the sense that any job that I have been in and I'm resp- where I'm responsible for something, I'm, I'm willing to take the heat for anything that I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that tries to look to blame other people mm. or, you know, I love a team yes. environment, but I know that if when I 
step out and say, I need you to do this, or we're going to go in this direction, or we're going to do, do this. And I am the first person to say when someone looks at me like, uh oh, and I will be the first one to say, I'll take the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so that's such a gift for all that the is team a superpower. Members. It is a superpower. Just too many people are like so afraid of making a mistake and who will they blame and how will they right. explain that it wasn't really a mistake. It's like it's it's okay. I'll I'll take it. And yeah, you know, I trust the thinking that got us here. And if it goes awry, okay. We'll we'll exactly. be okay. And I make mistakes. I mean, everybody makes mistakes, and I make mistakes all the time. And I had, before this, I was the manager at the Marquee Theater on Broadway, and I kind of got a little bit thrown into that job as well, not having um, a lot of one-on-one training and just having to kind of make my way in it. And I remember getting called into the CFO's office because I had done something wrong on my settlement. And, you know, I was panic-stricken because... I kept hearing, you know, this is so, never get this wrong. You always have to get this right. And I, I said to her, I was like, I'm really sorry that I made the mistake. I said, but the one thing that I am going to promise you that I will try, although I will continue to make mistakes, I will try never to make the same mistake twice. Mm. Um, So that's what I strive for. I don't strive to be perfect. I strive to, once I've learned something to retain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always kind of used that as my North star in most jobs that I, you can't put the pressure on yourself that you have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You're going to make mistakes, but the goal is never to make it twice. I love what that does like for your team as well. Mm-hmm. I love like the permission it gives other people to learn as well and not yes. feel scared of not knowing everything or we're making mistake or having to ask a question. Exactly. Mm. exactly. It, it's really in alignment with, I was just actually uh, teaching at the O'Neill on this very day mm-hmm. today that we're recording this. Um, and the, the ethos it's on a sign when you drive up to the O'Neill <laughs> and I'll never forget, like the first time I was up there, the headlights crossed over this sign. We pulled up at night and it says risk period, fail period, risk again period mm. and i was like that sounds amazing yeah. i wonder how you do that like i just <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know at the time i've studied on it yeah. since so i have a better idea about it but but what you're talking about tiffany i feel like um it's a good match for that mm-hmm. ethos that is on the sign uh in front of the institution that you now lead hey wait should we stop and say for folks who don't know, what is the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center? I feel like uh-huh. that's Tiffany, a what worthy is it? Yeah. thing. For, Tell us more. Yeah, to hear from you, Tiff. I believe that they describe themselves as the launch pad of the American theater. Oh, <laughs> oh just that. <laughs> just that. Um, but it is uh, a, it's a number of things. It's a theater center that within it has a theater conservatory, um, an accredited theater conservatory. So you get credits in college for Mm. your work there. Um, It's the National Theater Institute. Uh, It's celebrating its 50th year. And we have students from all over the country that come and train with the best of the best 
among them, Susan Blackwell. Susan Blackwell. What? <laughs> Susan Blackwell. I cannot believe they let me work with, with young people. Who's vetting Woo-hoo! the teachers there? I, I seriously really question. Um, and, you know, they're encouraged to risk, fail, and risk again. And it's yeah. been, you know, I have met a number of people that talk about how the experience really changed their lives. And even if they didn't become actors, uh, there are a lot of directors that have come from that program. And if they aren't directors, some people went into television or something completely different yeah. with just the skills that they learned, they take with them everywhere. Uh, and then it's also uh, the home of the National Play Conference, which develops new works uh, by emerging artists. We do six plays a year and we do them as staged readings instead of full productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for over a four week period, uh, you're encouraged to write, you get four readings of your piece with audiences and performances in between so that you can get feedback mm-hmm. and write some more. Uh, and then we do the same with musicals in the National Musical Theater Conference. Um, so that's a lot of the development of new work. And I always think of the O'Neill as being the place that really taught theaters how to develop work. I mean, mm. you know, the concept of what we refer to, uh, you know, I, Laura and Susan, I know you'll know the 29 hour reading, which is yeah. the, mm-hmm. the thing that most, uh, musicals, or plays will go through uh, in their early development where they'll spend 29 or 20 hours in rehearsal with a director and they you know, do a presentation, either script in hand or you know, very minimally staged, no costumes, that sort of thing. But just to give the writers an opportunity to see their work in movement uh, on its feet and mm-hmm. to get that kind of feedback. And that's something that the O'Neill kind of started and discovered through the National Play really? Conference. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, it's just, it's... I didn't know that. That's it's fascinating. There, that model is something that I think, you know, was how that kind of thing became shaped. You know, they started... And now it's industry standard. 50, yeah, now it's the industry standard. Wow, wow. Um, and so... They also have added in the last, I mean, in, well, 30 years, they, 30 years ago, they added a puppetry conference where it's a two-week conference in the summer where emerging puppeteers and, uh, you know, high, uh, highly trained puppeteers come together and share their work uh, and show their craft. They make new puppets. They try new things, they learn from one another about different kinds of puppetry, and they come from all over the world. Uh, There's also a National Critics Conference, and that is uh, mid-career entertainment critics writers um, that come together and they hone their craft, learn from one another. Um, You know, they use some of the pieces that are being performed on on campus as inspiration for some of their work, that sort of thing. Just, you know, just mm-hmm. as exercises, not as, you know, we're going out there and uh, and critiquing your work. But they gonna make know, or break to, this show. Exactly. Right here. But they get to see <laughs> exactly. They get to see some of those shows and talk about, you know, with one another about how you go about 
critiquing entertainment, live entertainment, that sort of thing. Um, and then there's the Cabaret and Performance uh, Conference, which wow. is another two-week conference in the summer, I know. It's uh- <laughs> amazing. As you're, as you're saying this, I'm like, between all of those conferences, which are very diverse, mm-hmm. and then and then the educational arm, which is the National Theater Institute mm-hmm. and the National Music- Musical Theater Institute, like, it, it is a lot of... Uh, it's a lot of the minds of the American theater and puppetry and cabaret mm-hmm. and criticism are passing through that campus. It's true. It's, it's really the scope of what you all do is pretty it's impressive. Pre- it's pretty amazing. I mean, it really is impressive. And, you know, Lloyd Richards was the artistic director of the National Play Conference for 34 years, I believe. Mm, Um, I think he's the longest serving artistic director there. And in some ways, he's responsible for kind of shepherding some of the best playwrights of the second half of the 20th century. I mean, John Guare and John Patrick Shanley and August Wilson. I mean, those are phenomenal people that we hear about, you know, Mm-hmm. legend you know legendary folks that that have come through the O'Neill and we've continued over time to develop work I mean slave play uh, mm. was developed at the O'Neill and it just yeah. got 12 Tony nominations um, in the Heights yeah yep. show that's right um, and and if we like as as you are catching on laura and i are old friends of the o'neill we did workshop <laughs> title of show there i went back to develop uh another original musical called now hear this and as we met for one million years i have also been a teaching artist <laughs> at, at the o'neill at their national theater institute including my work with the students today yeah um but i really have spent many late nights writing at the O'Neill and many early mornings teaching at the O'Neill. I have eaten in the cafeteria more than I can tell you. And it's, it's so great that you are there now, Tiffany. Yeah. I, I think we're just super excited to see um, what you do with mm-hmm. your O'Neill chapter and how you lead there. Oh, thank you. We're excited for you, but we're equally, if not more so excited for the O'Neill to have you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be incredible. I'm really excited yeah. too. I really, you know, it's a, right now, most of, most of what we have to concentrate on is, you know, keeping ourselves afloat and getting through the pandemic and mm-hmm. trying to deliver as much of our content as we can. We've been really lucky to be able to have uh, NTI this fall although at a reduced capacity and Mm -hmm, to also, uh, you know, we'll have it in this, in the spring as well. And so now we're trying to make plans for the best way to support our artists uh, in the national play conference, national music theater conference um, over the summer. Um, Mm -hmm, Yeah. Well, this, this leads to our next question, which is with the pandemic, with politics doing what they're doing right now, with this movement of social change and the social reckoning that's happening, we are in the midst, just as human beings, we are in the midst of a lot of rapid change, Mm -hmm. not to mention the theater community, the United States globally. And we're curious what it must be like for you to step into managing this globally recognized arts organization 
during these unprecedented times? It's, it's really a challenge. I mean, I'm, Mm-hmm. What what else can I say? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, I think challenge for anyone, but definitely a challenge. It's um, there are a lot of eyes on everyone and everything, especially the theater, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. how you know the theater's gone through, I guess, somewhat or uh, a reckoning about the work that it chooses, about the the artists that they work with. Um, yeah. the diversity of it uh, and and how we approach teaching theater, all of those things. And when yeah. you're at an institution like the O'Neill that does it all, you definitely feel like you're, it, you have to start thinking about all of those things all of the time and with uh-huh. all of your programs. And with, uh, so it, it, it is very much a priority. And then also, finding new ways to deliver theater, knowing that it's hard for people to gather. Um, Mm -hmm. And although we're not dependent on audiences the same way that some of the presenting theaters are, because our audiences are coming to see staged readings and they're much smaller, uh, the tickets, you know, the price of tickets are lower. um, It's still something that is part of the Waterford community, the New London community that they miss and that they want to be a part of mm-hmm. and trying to f- deliver things and keep them engaged virtually and um, and hopefully maybe this summer using some of our outdoor spaces. We really want to be able to do that. Um, so we're very focused on trying to keep all the balls in the air all at the same time. And everyone's been committed and supportive and supported, you know, supporting the whole move forward. But, you know, you want to come in, you know, and have a big vision and have the big idea and implement the big idea today. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) the reality is, is that I'm lucky that we're getting to operate. Yeah, and yeah. I'm lucky that I'm able to lead this organization and have a job at all in this yeah. climate. So, um, so I have to keep I keep a notebook of you know I keep big what ideas. kind of like yeah of big ideas. <laughs> You're a spark exactly. pile. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Spark yes. Pile. yes. exactly. Um, because I don't want to feel you know hampered. I don't want to feel the weight of oh, but you can't have a big idea. But knowing that it's gonna it's gonna take time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a this is such a basic question, but I always like to ask people like you who have positions of enormous responsibility. How much sleep do you require in a night? <laughs> <laughs> I love sleep. I heart sleep. <laughs> I yes. love sleep. When I was in kindergarten, I used to come home with a note taped to me that said <laughs> Tiffany was a good sleeper, a good napper. Oh. Um, and it's, it's like wrapped into your identity. <laughs> I am a good sleeper. It's wrapped into really my identity. Well. Um, so I like to get between eight and nine hours. Ooh, yes. And, that's awesome. Um, yes. That's my ideal. I don't. It, it goes in waves. Sometimes I sleep really well. Sometimes I don't, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with what's going on in my life or in the mm-hmm. world. I find that through the pandemic, it's been 
difficult because I'm not moving around enough. Um, yes, yes. So yeah. I find, you know, just sleeping, I'm not, I'm not tired enough. <laughs> yeah, you haven't worn yourself yeah. out enough. Yeah. You haven't exactly. built up that sleep pressure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And yeah. working, you know, my brain gets tired. And so I sometimes just want to lay there and not think. But the actual sleeping part has been a little bit more difficult. As you are um, digging into this role, and it's crazy because you're learning this role mm-hmm. while you are in the midst of this just bananas au rotten <laughs> time. But uh, are, are you seeing things, any cool possibilities coming to life regarding the future of theater? Are there any exciting ideas that are hitting your spark file? I think so. I mean, I I haven't been watching a lot of uh, Zoomed content, um, but every I've watched a couple of readings via Zoom and I've found them to be very effective. So... Mm. The idea of being able to do some development via Zoom is something that I think we might be able to take with us, continue mm, on I with I think us. you're right. Yes. You know? I do think you're right. We've talked so much on the podcast and in life just how when we get to a post-pandemic time, whether mm-hmm. that's after a reliable vaccine comes out or this cloud has moved past us, there's so much change that has occurred that is going to remain with us. And I think what you're talking about is one of the pieces that could be really, really cool. That I agree. It's b- baked into the process that you could actually, without having to fly everybody to Waterford, Connecticut every time, <laughs> you could actually get some really great, exciting work done exactly. um, via exactly. Zoom. That's a, that, that is a good idea. And, uh, you know, how much fun is it now to have a really a, a reason to have to teach a student how to audition on camera, audition on Zoom? Um. <laughs> yes, it's so funny. I was teaching O'Neill students to an on-camera acting class on mm-hmm. Zoom the other day, and I was like, "This is actually great, friends, because mm-hmm. we don't have to imagine. We don't have to roll in a camera into the room mm-hmm. with a monitor. We can. You can actually see right now in real time." when a look passes across Rachel's face, mm-hmm. <laughs> just a look passes mm-hmm. across Rachel's face or Rachel looks down and tries to surreptitiously text with somebody. <laughs> you don't have to do much. And <laughs> we, see everyone, it. it registers on camera. It's, it's, this is a weird thing, but it's actually true. Teaching on camera acting over zoom. There's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, many blessings in that mm-hmm. because you can make points very easily and it's very real and very immediate. It's true. It's so cool. Uh, yeah. I, and yeah. I hope that people take away from Zoom the ability to connect. I don't think that I connected this much with some people, you know, um, in a yes. in a visual world. I mean, this is, you know, just a kind of, you know, more personal than professional, but I know I have friends all over the world. I have a friend in Scotland that I have known for 20 years and we didn't start video chatting until the pandemic. Yes. You got accustomed to that technology. (laughs) Yeah. Because you you got really good at the tech. You got really, really good at the tech. Exactly. 
we're really enjoying that as well. We're getting ready to host our annual New Year's workshop. And Mm -hmm. typically people would have to get to New York to be mm -hmm. able to attend. And now people from all over the world can just zoom right on in. We're so excited to hear, you know, we have some listeners um, in Scotland, some listeners in London, and they're, you know, they're already signed up. And we're like, this is amazing because, you know, they wouldn't have been able to come otherwise. It's, it's incredible. And I, I also wonder if this time will actually grow interest in, in theater and what we do will grow mm-hmm. because of things like this, what mm-hmm. you're doing. Oh, that's interesting. That you're reaching people that maybe normally wouldn't go to a show or, you know, go to a, uh, I don't know, a lecture or something, mm-hmm. or, you know, this podcast wouldn't pop up in their iPod, you know, in their iPod or something like that. But now they're getting to learn something and, and uh, that they, and they can develop an interest in something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Developing an interest in something that they might take with them. I, I realize while we're talking about this, I, I just, we just this week um, because of pandemic related events, a theater in Mexico did a production in Spanish of now hear this. They did it virtually. And I was able to sit in my chair that I'm sitting in right now (laughs) and watch this production that was filmed in a theater in Mexico and they made a bubble Mm -hmm. and they filmed it together during the pandemic. And I got to watch it without flying to Mexico to see it. And I felt very connected to that cast and that creative team. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that uh, we were talking before, um, before you jumped into this recording, Tiffany, about Mm -hmm. how, like, I know that, like, the pain that teachers are feeling right now is real. I know the pain that students are feeling right now is real. And lots of different people who are having to adjust and work uh, with this technology during Mm -hmm. this time. All of that is true, and I'm not minimizing that. But I also think there's an enormous amount of possibility that I am excited that we now are accustomed to that we can take into our future and sort of fold it into being able to gather in person again and things like that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's exciting. I think it has sparked, sparked. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yes. It, it, it yes. Has, get it trending. Tiffany. Yes. Get it trending. <laughs> sparked creativity in a yeah. new way, you know, People are trying to communicate in a different way and share information. I mean, one of the things that I got involved involved with before I started at the O'Neill was something called the Broadway Community Project, which... (laughs) Yes! Yep. Tell us us about that. Yeah. So that came out of, you know, I was an an avid watcher of the daily uh, Cuomo... uh, Yes, the press uh, briefings. Press conference. Yes, press briefings. Yes. And the I Cuomo think every, the Cuomo show. And I think just about every theater person or Broadway person uh, felt the kick in the stomach the day that he said, I wouldn't use Broadway as a barometer for anything. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that was not a good day. I, I don't think that he meant it the way that it came out, but I went on a walk with a friend, my friend Greg Shafford after that. And I said, I, you know, I feel like people don't understand how many people are affected by 
Broadway being closed. Yes. Um, yes. I feel like there's this sense that we're just, it, it's just about providing entertainment, not that it's mm-hmm. providing somebody's job or livelihood. That's right. And, you know, I said, I kept thinking about what my theater must look like, you know, dusty with empty music stands and, you know, oh. a, a wig room with no wigs on the, on the wig forms. And just, I, I was mm. like, I, an empty theater is one of the saddest things you can, yeah. <laughs> you could yeah. ever walk through. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I said, I wish there was some visual way to share with people just how, just how many people are affected. I want people, I want there to be a human behind it and not mm-hmm. just an industry. And so we uh, got in touch with Damien Bazadona from Situation Marketing. And he, I sort of told him my idea and that I wanted to come up with a way of mapping all of this. And he said to me, um, this is a really cool idea. And Greg and I thought, I, Greg was really excited. He said, oh yeah, I know that Damien's gonna love this. And I was shocked that he actually thought it was a cool idea. And so we embarked on this couple of months of creating this map um, that basically shows how all of the very, with the show in the center, shows how all of the various aspects connect to the show, mm-hmm. but from the point of view of the people. So yep. I wanted it to be about the people. I wanted you to hear from the guy who hangs the underslings in fr- on the marquee in front of the theater and how and <laughs> is that know, what and, they're called the un, uh, the unders underslings? underslings yeah yeah is that where it says like majestic exactly. the New York times mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i never knew that they were called <laughs> underslings <laughs> i'm uh, learning so much there okay. you go so you know i wanted you know people to hear from him and you know hear yeah. from the union rep who's union isn't, you know, her union office is closed and she's had to go on unemployment and, you know, the the master electrician or the, all of the various parts that, uh, that put together a show. And when we did it, I mean, I didn't even realize how big it would get and it keeps growing. It's huge. Living project. (laughs) It's huge. huge. I think it's the coolest, coolest thing. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in a long, long time. And when I first saw it, I was like, how do they do this? Who did this? And then I saw (laughs) situation and I was like, of course it was situation. (laughs) Of course it was. But from the mind of Tiffany Gavin, of Tiffany Gavin, and you know, you know, all the people to bring this together and make it happen. But I do love goal accomplished. You have the personal touch of like, let me go in and see what a, a lead producer does. Mm-hmm. And, oh, here's a lead producer right here. You can learn about them. And how do people find it, Tiffany, if they want to behold the majesty? How do they find it? They can go to uh, playbill.com. There's a um, an icon on the homepage of playbill.com yeah. that says Broadway Community Project. And if they click on it, it'll take them right to the map. And they partnered with you on that? Like they they said, we want that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we brought Playbill in. Um, Alex Bursch from Playbill, they were looking for online content because 
Yeah. One thing that's interesting, you know, <laughs> that I never even thought of is that Playbill had to stop their presses for the first time in uh, years or something. Right? Yeah. The programs, the theater right. programs. Oh my God. Yep. Exactly. Oh my God. Of course. It had met like it just I knew I knew it, I guess, in the back of my head, but it it didn't come home for me until until Damien brought Alex in. Yeah. And Alex said, you know, we are looking for online content, so we'd be happy to partner with you guys. This might make something really interesting for us. Mm-hmm. And they came, they became involved, and now they actually do features on various people in yep. the map. So, you know, you can go to the map and click on a person, but there That's are also right. features on various people as well, so you get to learn a little bit more about them. So it was something that was really a gift to me and to Greg, I think, to be able to bring this thing to life. And I could not thank Situation and Playbill, Alex and mm. Pippa and Kevin and Damien any more than, I mean, they're just amazing to be able to help us do this. It's a gift for all of us because again, to illustrate just how enormous this mm-hmm. industry is and how many people have been affected um, yeah. I, I got to imagine that is helpful for so many people um, on a personal level to conceptualize. Yeah, yeah. like I, yeah. family members who don't understand. Like, so what is it? <laughs> and that's that sounds neat. Um, you know, yeah. but you that, can have, so many people can say, "Look, look, this is the world that I inhabit." I I will also say, just like looking towards the future, mm-hmm. I feel like this is a spark for individuals who potentially want to work in the theater mm-hmm. and the people who love them, including parents, mm-hmm. teachers, guidance counselors, mm-hmm. career counselors. I mean, I will be honest with you, until I looked at this this project that you've created, I don't know that I could have con- conceptualized all those jobs and yeah. understood actually what all of those, and, and I work in this industry. Yeah. So yeah. I can imagine how helpful this could be if you or somebody you cared about was trying to find their place in mm-hmm. this big theatrical community. Yeah. It's really something. I was on, I was a guest on a podcast recently called uh, Ditch Your Backup Plan. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the host of that podcast said she has so many conversations with parents who are terrified. Uh, she runs a, call it the K-State Theater Program. And she said she talks to so many parents who are just terrified, like they they have a very myopic view of what uh, potential jobs exist for their child mm-hmm. who's about to, you know, oh, major yeah. in theater. And yeah. and I can't wait to tell her about this and make sure she knows about it because she said she's always trying to explain to them, like, you have no idea. But for, for all the students, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So exactly. helping them to visualize like, oh my God, there is, there's an underslinger. I'd be great at being an underslinger. <laughs> I can undersling with the best of them. It's yeah. a great spark, Tiffany. It's very Thanks. cool. It's a very cool project. And you made that. Yeah. I mean, it was really important for us also to be... I mean, you know, Broadway isn't always the most diverse place and we didn't want to, we didn't want to show it as something that it's not, but we did make a concerted effort to, to have women and people of color so that 
so that it's understood that there are a lot of different people that have these roles yep. and yes. that maybe, you know, the only reason that there aren't more people doing them is because either they don't, they don't know about them or they don't have access. So, you know, he, you know, here all, there's no job that's not open to you. Um, and yeah, that's right. So it, it was, it was fun to put together and I cannot get over it. How many people, I mean, we just called these people out of the blue or sent them emails or something. And I was like, there's no effing way Dear, that like yes, this you know, person, right, that I have not talked to the, yes. Oh, sorry. I yeah, did not mean no. to interrupt with what is going to be a shameless pitch. Our podcasters on there, I didn't see, but this whole world of theater podcasting has cropped up. So I think it's not complete until, you know, we see some podcasters on there. It's true. We got to get podcasters on there. So now I have a, now I have a phone call that I can make. <laughs> because yeah it was this list of like i don't know have you talked to this person i haven't talked to this person in 25 years do you really think you can get them to make a 30 second video i don't know what else are they I doing know. i mean it's just <laughs> oh yeah oh, cool. yeah there was so, that moment in the pandemic yeah. where it was sort of like what else are they doing <laughs> now that's all changed because yeah. people have gotten very creative yes it's true so we believe tiffany that Everyone is creative, but smart, creative people don't do it alone. They have support along the way. And we're curious, who has been a source of support in your creative life? Oh, mm. boy. They're just... Oh, there are so many. I, I mean, I don't think it would even be fair to name any <laughs> oh, one person. Sophie's oh. choice. Oh, no. <laughs> it is Sophie's oh, choice. No. I mean, you know, if anything, you know, my 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 mom and my dad have always been mm. an inspiration because they are involved in they were involved in the arts. I grew up in the arts because of them and um and you know, they never they they saw my potential in anything. I don't know. Everything I did was fantastic to them. I mean, I'd be in a musical mm. and croaking my way through some song. And I'm like, you are amazing. You know? Fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. That's a great oh. answer. I think that's a beautiful answer. Oh, my God. All right. Then the flip side of, of um, your, your perfection, there's mm -hmm. another topic we're obsessed with on this podcast, and that is processing creative failure or perceived mm. failure. Could you talk about one of the biggest perceived failures or challenges that you faced and how you processed it? <sighs> hmm. Oh, the list. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The list you know, just them. today I was at teaching the students at the O'Neill uh, uh, workshop, a let me try that again workshop, which mm -hmm. is about how to, because as we just said, when you pull up to the O'Neill, there's that big sign mm -hmm. that says risk, period, fail, mm -hmm. period, risk again. And I, when I first saw it, I was like, that sounds amazing. I don't know how to do mm -hmm. it. So I really studied <laughs> on it. And it's, it's something that it's so true. We all, we all fail. And I think sometimes, um, it's comforting. <laughs> it's comforting for me, Laura, and our listeners to know that even, you know, fancy pantses like yeah. you who can executive hold a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Center has I'm had some fucking executive <laughs> Like you, you can like I and and we posit that one of the reasons that you have 
risen into a role like this is because you have a good idea about how to process Mm -hmm. failure. Like, you know, it's not because you have an experienced failure, it's because you've learned how to process it. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's all in perspective. I, I don't know that I've ever done anything perfectly or walked away from something saying, well, that I, wow. Smell you me. Know, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I nailed that. But, but I'm always happy to have maybe left my mark somewhere um, mm. or um, just, you know, maybe left a place a little bit better than when it started. And, and, mm-hmm. and if I didn't, then maybe I came out of there having learned something so, mm-hmm. um, so I can't, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that I failed at everything or failed at nothing, but I, I just, I think, again, mm-hmm. I can't, if I looked at every, if I looked at everything that didn't go my way as a failure, I would just, I wouldn't get out of bed. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that's man. it. I mean, that's that perspective. Yeah. Just because yeah. something didn't end up exactly the way you thought of it doesn't make it a failure. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny when it just back around to blue man for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I left and kind of leaving your mark somewhere. The thing I love about blue man um, <laughs> is that <laughs> is the thing that I feel like I left behind was dark night on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, that is genius and right? continued like, on for so. That's your legacy. That's, that's a great legacy. legacy. And I love that that was my legacy, that like dart still happened. You know, I don't yes. know if it was on Tuesday, but that, you know, they still went to the same bar and played yes. on Tuesday nights and or grassroots. You know, that's really about building community, Tiffany. Like that's beyond darts. And, um, and, and if there's one thing that Blue Man did, you know, go on and continue to do is cultivate community. And you were mm-hmm. a big part of that uh, in the early years. I guess you could call it early years. It was year 10 when I got there. <laughs> hey, well, it's now 30. So those are the early years. It's all relative. Years. That's yep. true. Yep. That's true. So, so that was looking towards the past. Now looking towards the future. And this is potentially an unfair question because you just stepped into <laughs> such a significant chapter of your life. Yeah. But is there a creative thing or a professional thing that you know you need to do before you're done? I would like to really develop something from whole cloth mm. and, you know, shepherd a project for someone unexpected mm-hmm. um, and get it across the finish line. It would just make me so happy to be able to really from start to finish really develop something as a as a producer or manager because I'm not I'm not a writer I'm not you know that sort of thing but to really shepherd a project until it it gets to its rightful place um, and give somebody a chance that maybe wouldn't otherwise have one I just think I didn't know what I could do in this business when I started I didn't even really know what I wanted to do I didn't know how far I could get as a woman of color in the theater. Mm -hmm. And I just, if I could help somebody get to where they want to go to really mentor somebody, I would love that because I stumbled around till I found my way. And I had so many great mentors along the way that I feel like I want to pay it forward to somebody. So I think you're 
you're in the perfect position to do Absolutely. this. Absolutely, and probably for multiple people. But what lucky people. Because lucky <laughs> skill set. You know, like Holy that's shit. one of the things that drew us to uh, wanting to talk to you is, is your skill set as a creative and someone who's nurtured and fostered creativity and the administrative, the executive side, because mm -hmm. so, so many artists are like, ugh, I don't, all that <laughs> stuff scares me. I don't know what yeah. to do. And oh, yeah. you combine yeah. them so gracefully. I try. I mean, it's, it's an, you know, it's an art in and of itself. And I think when you respect the art, it all sort of comes together. You know, you, mm. you know, you know the why when someone asks you, I really need this. You can have the conversation about why something that seems so incredibly expensive makes sense to someone. To be able to, you know, have that conversation and mm -hmm. look at a piece from both, you know, the dream part and the, <laughs> and the realistic and the real part. <laughs> I want a shot glass more of that. We're like, we're actively working on it, but like a shot glass more of that, like that business acumen part, that mm -hmm. part that can, is comfortable, like swimming in those business waters and like financials and legalese. Like you, earlier you were like yeah. talking about the settlement that you were like, uh, it wasn't perfect. There was a flaw in it. And I was like, mm, I want to know what that was. settlement? Means too. Like all of it. <laughs> So here's here's the secret. It <laughs> you'll never feel totally comfortable. You have to wing it until you figure it out. <laughs> um, yes, fake it till you make so it. So good. You fake it till you make it. I we mean, literally yeah, we were do. just going to ask you. Like you've been in the creative business for a long time. Can you give us some good creative <laughs> advice? And I think it till you, you make it, did. baby. Fake it till you make did. it. You do have all parts of your brain wiring. Yeah. Do you have any other good creative advice for us and our listeners? It's really important to know a little bit about everything that affects you. Mm. So, no, uh, you know, if you're an actor or, um, or, you know, or a performer of any type, know a little bit about your contract. Mm -hmm. um, don't just leave it to your agent or your lawyer. Have a, you know, know a little bit about how to do that. However, you have to learn it. You could learn it from a general manager friend like me mm -hmm. or um, a company manager. Um, no, this is such good uh, adulting advice. It is. <laughs> it, is. It, is. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. To be able to like, even if you have to like hold your eyes open with your fingers and like force yourself to do it to really have some basic working understanding of what you are committing to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because I think that one, uh, it's always good when a producer or a manager knows you're watching mm -hmm. um, and that you're paying attention. And it's always nice when you're in one of the one, you know, in an administrative position uh, to feel like someone yeah. understands a little bit of what you do. So that's always a helpful thing. It always, you know, endears people to me when, when <laughs> someone says something to me that I'm like, oh, wow, you 
thanks. Cool. <laughs> you knew hey. that I had, you know, you know what it meant that I had to be at the ad meeting today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like an awareness and curiosity yeah. about other people's work as well. Yeah. But it also affects you, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is important to know and it'll help you find other opportunities. I mean, I couldn't do a podcast, but you figured out how to do it. You know what I mean? Like, Still girl, I really know we, how to do this. Listen, <laughs> this is, this, it's true. This is a great example. This is an example of like, we, uh, Laura and I, like, I'll just speak for myself. I'm mm-hmm. old as fuck. And I was like, I don't know how to edit I'm sound. I don't chicken. know how to record stuff. I don't know how to do this. And uh, thank God Laura has, you know, real skills, but, but you, you figure it <laughs> figure out. It out. Like you figure, figure it, out. it out. Exactly. It expands your opportunities, getting to use different parts of your brain. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. And keep learning. Absolutely. Keep learning. That's good advice too. Keep That's learning. very good advice. Tiffany Gavin, you work really fucking hard. What's <laughs> yes. it all for? I think I do it because I truly, truly believe that live performance, entertainment, really feeds people's soul. Mm. And it's and it's important, actually, in ways that people don't even think about. It's important to our economy. It's important to our community. It's important to, you know, understanding one another. I just... I feel like I want everybody to have experienced being on stage, even just standing on a stage or uh, seeing a show and just seeing how much goes into it, how many different kinds of people are involved. It is extraordinary. And I don't feel like I could do anything else that would have given me the opportunity to meet so many amazing people, Mm. to work on so many different things and get to see the world from so many different places, honestly. Mm. I mean, it's, I think that's the only, I guess that's the only explanation I can give. It seems kind of selfish maybe, (laughs) but I I just love what, art brings to the world. And I want to do everything I can to help other people know that too. Mm, Um, Awesome. You're doing it. I feel like you're doing doing it. it. You're doing it. It shows up in all the work you're doing. You're feeding souls and also letting people know the, the breadth of this community as well. You're so in alignment with that goal. It's, it's incredible because what you just, the words you just spoke and your intentions and then the actions you're taking at the (laughs) O'Neill and also the creating of the, you know, the Broadway, um, uh, community project. It's just, it's all in alignment. It's exciting. It is Good exciting. Job, Tiffany Gavin. Well, yeah, way to it go. Is exciting. Hey, yeah. can you tell us, um, last but not least, who or what is sparking you these days? I think I'm feeling a little defiant. Oh, um, that's a good spark. I, think, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if defiance is the word, but I just feel like if I can conquer this during a pandemic, <laughs> you know, yes. with, you know, this job kind of coming out of nowhere, not really expecting that this was going to be my next move. I want to get this right. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get it right. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Because it could not be a harder time to try and do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I am just, I, you know, I don't want anybody to tell me that I can't because I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to make sure that I can. Oh man. And we yes. are right there. We're with you 100%. We're, we'll be cheering you on. I, the whole I way. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Tiffany, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank it's a pleasure. you. It's so great to talk to you. You too. It's great to talk to you too. We, we won't go another 20 years, Tiffany. <laughs> no, uh, please don't. <laughs> we won't. <laughs> Friends, I think that's it. This episode of The Spark File was made on Muncie, Lenape, and Seminole land, and we hope that it put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen to us. If there is a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you've taken a spark and you fanned it into a creative flame and you'd like to share that, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. We will even happily take your feedback, but you know the price of admission. First, you have to share a creative risk that you have taken recently. And if you want to support this little podcast, be sure to subscribe to The Spark File wherever you get your podcast. You can subscribe, rate, five-star review it. Uh, If you like it, seriously, that is a great way, a free way for you to support this work that we're doing. And you can also share it with people you love. And if you didn't like it, I don't know, Tiffany, what do you say to your critics? Watch me. Defiance. Yes. Yes. If something tickles your fancy and gets your creative juices flowing, we're writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take a spark and fan it into a flame. You got to take it and and make it. it. Bye. Bye. Oh my God, Tiffany, that reminds me of fuck around and find out. Watch me. <laughs> oh, that was good. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark files. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark files. I jump into my spark files. Let's open up the spark fire